You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers' Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 81 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? Oh, I'm just uh, busy, you know. (laughs) Remember how we talked um, in the last episode about how I was really, really behind because I'd had school holidays for two weeks and, you know, yada, yada, and I babbled on about how boring that all was. Um, Well, now I'm just stupidly busy because that's what happens. (laughs) It's, it's all swings and roundabouts, baby. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but what are you busy doing? Oh, I, well, you know, interestingly, I'm, um, well, I'm doing stuff that's related to the launch of uh, Breath of the Dragon. So I've got blog posts to write for things like that. I'm editing an ebook. I'm trying to finish writing the first chapters of a new uh, contemporary middle grade novel for girls that I'm working on. You know, just you know how I'm always doing about eighty thousand things at once. Yeah, well, mm. I'm just doing that. You know, on steroids at the moment. Yeah, right. Okay, and you? awesome. Uh, well, let me see. Yesterday, I actually went to a seminar. It was like a conference thing, and the theme of it was partnerships. It wasn't specifically related to the writing or book industry. However, uh, the 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 presenter has had a lot of experiencing uh, experience mentoring people who have written business books mainly, mm-hmm. and he was talking about the partnerships that you can create to monetize your book launch, so that your book launch doesn't actually have to cost you money. In fact, it can make you money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and I thought that was really clever. So it's, you know, sometimes you think you need to get, you know, um, get the alcohol and catering sorted or you hope that your publisher will foot the bill. But uh, potentially, if you partner with the right people, you can get your book launch basically paid for and in some cases if you sell tickets to it if you're offering something more than just a reading Mm. or more than just hey come have some drinks with me uh, (laughs) then then you can even make money from your book launch so it was quite fascinating to talk about his experience with the people that he has been working with on how they've monetized their book launch so monetizing your book launch that's really interesting actually it's a interesting idea that I'm sure most authors would never consider. Yes, so. but, you know, they should. Oh, and just um, while we're on the subject of me writing book uh, blog posts and things like that, I just would like to draw people's attention to a post that I wrote on writetodone.com last week. Mm. And I think it's a really interesting one because it's a question I'm often asked and it was it was about the six lessons that I learned from freelance writing that helped me write fiction. Because I think ah. people often think that the two things are diametrically opposed. Mm. But in actual fact, there are a lot of skills that you use when you're writing um, 
fiction or writing freelance that you can then it's it's about taking those skills and using them in a different in, environment yes. um so i'll put the link in the show notes but um i've had quite a lot of feedback on that post and i thought that it would be something that a lot of our listeners might be interested in because we do have a bit of crossover in our in our listening base do we yes. yes and i like number two here you say how to write dialogue so mm-hmm. can you talk to that a little bit about how you know, your experience in feature writing has helped you to write dialogue in the imaginary world. Well, it's quite an interesting thing because I think dialogue is, um, is it's an easy thing to get wrong because I think a lot yeah. of the time when people write, they forget how people actually speak. So, you know, we tend to write things as we'd like them to be, not how they actually are when it comes to writing fictional dialogue. Yeah. So I think the thing that I've learned from interviewing people, so there's a several things. I learned to ask the same question three ways to make sure I got a succinct answer. So you always do that when you're trying to get a pull out a quote. So mm. when I write my dialogue, I use the best quote that I can. I think about the succinct quote, the kernel of information that I want to put on the page. And I think about that when I'm actually writing dialogue in fiction as well. So, you know, how to reach the essence of that quote. The other important thing that I learned through uh, interviewing, and obviously I've been doing a lot of it, is listening to the rhythm of a voice, of a voice, mm. people speak in different ways. They pause in different places. They, you know, like they they use different phrasing. And you know, when you're interviewing a businessman as opposed to a 21 year old case study for a different story, mm. you you very very quickly recognise the different ways, the different language people use. And so when I'm writing my fiction, I draw on that knowledge and those those memories of all those conversations I've had in in helping to draw the different voices out of my characters. Mm, Yes, of course. And I guess it's really just all about having a keen ear and a keen, um, just keen observational skills to really pick up how people really talk. Well, that's right. And But, you know, the great thing about freelancing is that it gives you the opportunity to speak to so many different people about so many different subjects. So you get a really – and it's a very specific conversation. Like you're having a specific conversation for a reason. And and I think that when you're writing dialogue in in fiction, you have to remember that that you're – characters are having a specific conversation for a specific reason that's to impart some kind of information to your reader and Mm. to develop their characters so I I just yeah I have to say I think that that was one of the most valuable things that uh, freelancing has given me as an author of fiction yes there are others (laughs) yes writing dialogue though it while it needs to be realistic it doesn't necessarily need to be real oh no and that's why I talk about the reaching the essence of the quote and mm. it, when so when you're in part when you're using your conversation within your fictional scene you you want to reach the essence of that conversation as quickly as possible you don't want to be doing hi how are you I'm fine <laughs> how'd you go last week what'd you do you know you don't need all that you just mm. cut to the chase get straight into it mm. and I notice and the other thing that comes up a lot I notice when I'm reading fiction from new writers is that I would, if I was a fictional character in their stories, I would use your name all the time. I would mm. be like, "That's very interesting, Valerie." <laughs> yes, Valerie. I think we should go to the. Whereas in real life conversation, we mm. know who we're talking to. Yes, that's right. So we don't need to say it. Yeah, it's interesting. Cool. Okay. Right. Well, let's Sorry, move that was on. A segue. Yeah. Fair enough. What was this? What was it? A segue to? I don't know. <laughs> 
It was more of a segue from as opposed to a segue <laughs> All to. right. Well, let's segue not so smoothly to <laughs> something that's been big news this week, uh, and that is a survey that has been conducted on Australian authors. And it's a study that's um, uh, been put out by Macquarie University, and it's part of a three-year study that they're going to do on authors and publishers and readers in a time of change. And so the they've they've surveyed a thousand, more than a thousand book authors who have who who are in Australia and come up with uh, quite a number of key findings. But the thing that has been making the rounds on Twitter and social media and being the headline in uh, many blog posts and stories, they've just picked this one particular thing, uh, is that the average income derived from practicing as an author is $12,900. Now, that's just sensationalist in my opinion. All right. Why is that, Valerie? Well, first of all, you need to clarify that that is the amount that has been derived from their writing and many authors, as you have pointed out to me, uh, have revenue streams from many other places. But Mm -hmm. I challenge the, you know, comprehensive nature of this um, of this study, I, you know, I bet you Tim Winton didn't answer that survey. <laughs> I bet you Thomas Keneally did not answer that survey. Yep. I bet you Graham Simpson did not answer that survey. Yep. So I think that fundamentally the respondents who answered the survey, uh, it's skewed. So if to, to get a real picture, you need to have a really, really broad cross-section of Australian authors. Yeah, I think it would have been helpful if we'd had some idea of, you know, who actually did respond. Because I, I that as you say, any study that's taken is only worth, uh, you know, who, who's who's actually surveyed. But mm. I also think, like, from me, from my perspective, there's there's two things to say here. One is that, you know, anyone who goes into being a, an author of fiction thinking that they are going to be J.K. Rowling and make a billion dollars needs to take a step back and consider mm. the fact that it takes a very, for most people, a very, very long time to really get to a point where they're living off their writing only. Like it, it's, it's a big mountain for most people, particularly fiction. I mean, nonfiction can be slightly different, I know. And you're talking about the top of the tree with Tim Winton and Thomas Keneally. I, I mean, I'm sort of like further down the, the chain here. Um, it's it's a very much, a, it's the kind of thing that you have to do because you love it. And then you have to hope that, you know, that, that monetary, in, you know, income will, will come with that. Mm. The other thing I found quite interesting about this is is that the actual findings of the demographic of, of the people that, that have been interviewed, like two-thirds of Australian authors are women, mm. according to this survey, which I found interesting. The other thing I, that made me laugh was that professional book authors are relatively old <laughs> compared to Australia's population, according to this survey. So half of book authors are aged 40 to 59 and yeah. nearly 40% are older, according to this survey. So I found that interesting. A, the idea that 40 was old kind of really got going <laughs> slightly. Um, but, you know, I think it's a partly because, you know, most people don't start writing until they think they've got something to say. And I think that's not a bad thing. Personally. I think it's also because that's the respondents of the survey. Now, yeah. I actually did answer the survey because – did you answer the survey? Um 
I think so. I've answered a few surveys over the last little while. I might have done, yeah. I answered this survey and it was put out, I think, from a link from the Australian Society of Authors, where mm. yeah, but that which makes sense. But I would hazard a guess that a 25-year-old author or even a 30-year-old author, you know, may not feel it necessary to join the Australian Society of Authors because um, we're, we're members because we're used to it. We, we, we know it's the industry body. We want to support the industry body. And when we were, you know, in our 20s, there wasn't anything, any other resources around. Mm. But these days, a 30-year-old has so many resources at their fingertips mm. um, to find out more about the publishing industry and that sort of thing. So maybe it's a reflection of, again, it's, I think it's a reflection of the respondents who happened to get the link to this survey. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's always going to be that too, as, as we discussed, you know, any survey is, is all about who, who responds on the day. I mm. found it interesting that nearly one-fifth of the authors who responded are actually working full-time as authors. Mm. Like that's, you know, from my perspective as, you know, with, with regards to authors, that's probably more than I thought. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I, I, I just, you know, I've always had a day job. I think a lot, most of the authors I know have day jobs and they're quite happy with that because it's, it's kind of gives you something to write about if nothing else. Mm. But um, anyway, look, I think it's interesting and I think it's always good when they do these kinds of things because it gives everyone something to talk about for four minutes and then we all move on. <laughs> That's right. So let us move on. Let then. us move on. Uh, to a link. Um, um, it's a $4,000 scholarship. Ooh. Yes. Speaking by, of authors earning cash. Yes. Uh, Matthew Loomis has created a new writer scholarship. Uh, he oh. is a blogger and, co- blogger and copywriter in the US, but this is open to, you know, anyone. And he has said, uh, are you a student with ambitions to become a writer or perhaps you're more advanced in age <laughs> yet mm-hmm. still dream about sharing your writing passion with others? Whatever your story, this opportunity could be your big break. So it's the new writer scholarship for 2015. It's 4,000 US dollars, which is pretty good. And you can submit a short story or poem or blog post or any written material that you are proud of, but it can't be already published as a printed book. And uh, you have until the 29th of November 2015 to submit your work. I reckon go for it. We'll put the link in the show notes. Yeah, I mean, what have you got to lose? Yeah, exactly. I'm all about it. I'm all for like throwing yourself out there and under a bus and just seeing what happens. (laughs) (laughs) What a nice thing to do though, really. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Now, I just wanted to give a big shout out to Avi Vince, who is one of uh, Australia's Australia Writers' Centre graduates, and she recently had a baby. But uh, I wanted Hooray, to... Avi. Yeah, go Avi. I wanted to talk about Avi because she's this great example of somebody who is in a completely unrelated career. Because a lot of people ask us, you know, I'm, I've never had any writing training. I've never um, had a job in writing, but I would really love to get into it you know they might be a chiropractor or they might be an accountant or whatever Uh, and Avi worked in the not-for-profit industry so she was working for a number of charities when she first sort of thought oh you know I might want to write and she discovered the courses at the Australian Writers Centre and slowly she you know got her skills up and then she started seeing um, other students other graduates who didn't have a background in writing just like her but they were getting published in some of her favourite publications. Mm. And uh, before long, I remember getting a call from Avi saying, oh, look, it's a long shot, but I've got uh, – I, I saw an ad, Mamma Mia. It was uh, 
uh, advertising for an editorial coordinator, I think, or something. Um, and she just wanted to get some tips on what she should do in the interview. So I had a chat to her about that. And she, because she loved the, she loved reading Mamma Mia and iVillage and, you know, those, those websites. And she thought she would give it a go and she became, she got the job. Yay. So not only did she get the job, she then, uh, was went from being an editorial coordinator to uh, being a writer, and before long she became ma- the managing editor of iVillage. So she's mm, see, that's a good career trajectory, isn't it? <laughs> brilliant ascension, I tell you that. Well so done. you know it can happen. I just want to encourage people that yeah. Avi's story isn't unique. There are many people who are in completely different careers, completely different industries, and you can make the change. You just need the courage to do it. That's right. Hmm. That was so nice motivation, Val. Yeah, there you. But speaking of the world of, you know, like magazines and and women's magazines, the announcement has been made by Pacific Magazines to run Girlfriend Magazine and Total Girl Magazine under one editor So Mm -hmm. because they're merging their editorial teams. Now, back in our day, Alison, this sort of thing would have been unheard of. You remember when we were at Clio, we never spoke to anyone at Cosmo. Well, not about our editorial content anyway. It was all very, very secret. You couldn't uh, – never the twain shall meet. You, you certainly wouldn't have mixed your teams, but it wasn't that long ago that um, Bauer Media decided to do exactly that, to merge the teams of uh, of, well, of Clio and Dolly anyway so that um, they were all working on the same content. But now they're doing it with Girlfriend and Total Girl. So it's, two separate titles, one editor. Yes. Combined editorial team. Yes, that's right. Mm. Interesting, huh? Hard work. You know, from the perspective of the of the editorial team producing two separate titles like that, it's yes, um, and and trying to keep the distinctive personalities of those magazines distinctive. Yes, it's going to take some skill. It'll take a skilled editor to do it. I think. Yeah, definitely. Mm. It's it is hard work. It is hard work, and you may hear grouchy barking in the background. Mm, so. I can. <laughs> What's he I don't know. What's he grouchy about? Going <laughs> exactly. He's a bit crazy. Uh, but anyway, let's move on then to our writing book this week, our writing craft book. This is a great one. It landed on my desk. I haven't read it yet, but that's okay because I'm going to ask the author to come onto our podcast. Ooh. Now, this is written by Emma Noble. Now, for many years, I've known uh, Emma as the director of book publicity agency Noble Words. And prior to that, I knew her because she used to do the publicity for quite a number of big name authors, including uh, organizations like the Sydney Writers Festival. And she has written a book, but I think it would be really useful to aspiring and established authors and it's called the DIY book PR guide the happier guide to do-it-yourself book publicity in seven easy steps so yeah I think that um that could be really useful because I'll be listening very closely to that particular um interview because I think that's an I think that book publicity is one of those it's like a dark art in yes. so many ways, and it's um, it's just this kind of weaving. I mean, there, there are certain things that you do, and it all goes, it all happens, and everyone does the same stuff, and it works so well for some people and not for others. Yes. So it's going to be interesting to see what she has to say about, you know, the the keys to success, I guess. Yeah, and hopefully get some great tips on, mm-hmm. you know, PRing your book. 
But let's move now to the world of blogs. What have you got for us? Well, look, I just wanted to, I have mentioned this blog before, but I just wanted to draw it to everyone's attention again, because um, as you know, I, uh, in my sort of life as social media chicky for the Australian Writers' Centre. I'm across a lot of blogs and I have several thousand feeds that go into my various, you know, social media organisers every day. And this particular blog uh, comes up often with fantastic content. Like it's the kind of content that, you know, it's just really shareable and it always goes very well on our social media accounts. So it tells me that our community is interested. Mm. So the name of the blog is livewritethrive.com. It's the blog of an author and editor by the name of C.S. Lakin. And it's another, another interesting aspect of it too is from an author blog perspective is how she's arranged herself because basically what she does is she shares writing tips. Like that's her thing. It's, mm. it's not sort of about her per se. It's all about how to be a writer, how to get things better, all that sort of stuff. Mm. She has three series. She does a Writing for Life series on Monday. She does the fatal flaws of fiction writing, sort of like what they are and how to fix them on mm. Wednesdays. And then it's all about grammar, punctuation and other confusable things on Fridays. And she uses a lot of guest posters to keep her content fresh and to keep yeah. it, you know, obviously because it's, you know, she's the posts are mostly lengthy. So there's a lot of stuff there. But as an information resource mm. for um, authors, it's it's really very, very good. So I would recommend that, you know, if you're interested in writing, uh, mostly fiction, she tends to do, go on over there and have a look through her blog. Her archives are really interesting. So, um, and also if you are an author blogger, it's a strategy that's worth having a look at to yeah. see if it's going to work for you, to see if it's something that you would like to do. Yeah, sure. But she seems to be putting a lot of effort into this blog. A um, lot it's, of work. Yeah, like it's very good. It's yeah. amazing how to, she finds time to write her book. I don't know either. And she edits as well, you know, so she works as a as a um, freelance editor as well. So she's obviously a pretty busy lady. <laughs> yeah, right. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of busy, somebody who is quite busy is Danny Parker, I believe, who is not only one of our presenters at the Australian Writers' Centre in Perth and he presents writing picture books, he obviously also writes picture books. Are we, are we talking to him? This is extremely helpful. Uh, Danny has, uh, yes, I've had a fantastic chat with Danny and um, we, because I'm actually quite interested in picture books, they're the kind of thing that uh, it look really easy to write yes, and yes. really not easy no, to write. Not. But Danny has uh, several books, you know, out at the moment and it's um, always interesting to talk to him about, you know, how those books came about, how he got started and um, just what, what makes a picture book work and what doesn't. Mm. So enjoy. Danny Parker is a children's book author with four books in his new young reader series, Lola's Toy Box, published by Hardy Grant in August this year, and four more to come in the next 12 months. He also has Perfect, his fourth published picture book, illustrated by Freya Blackwood, out this month through Little Hair, plus eight other picture books in the pipeline. He is the presenter of the Writing Picture Books course for the Australian Writers' Centre in Perth, and he is a very busy man. So welcome to the program, Danny. Thanks so much for making some time for us today. Oh, you're very welcome. All right, so let's let's talk about this enormous number of picture books you've got coming out. Are picture books your first love? Uh, yeah, I would say very much. I, I came I came to writing through through the picture book sort of format, and 
uh, the very first thing that I that I did, which which came out uh, about uh, three or four years ago, was um, I mean I didn't really know it when I wrote it, but it was a picture book text. So, um, and the way I came into writing really was through a relationship with um, a dear friend of mine now, Matt Otley, who is an illustrator, and and, and I showed him the story and said, look, you know, could you help me with with where to put the words on the, on you know on the page sort of thing, and uh, he recognised that it was actually a really uh, potentially a really good picture book story in his in his view, um, and he sort of picked, picked me up and mentored me through the process. So I realised then that while I wasn't writing poetry, I was actually writing uh, little picture books. Which oh, was, um, okay. Yeah, so it was obviously a rhyming. No, no, well, no. I do. I, I have got a couple of books coming up that, that that are in verse, but no, it was just um, it was a response to a, a pretty significant uh, life event when when we lost my dad um, twelve, thirteen years ago. Right. Um, but it was a very um, as a poetic sort of approach to, to. I was looking at the time for something to to read to find that would help me through that sort of that period, and I uh, couldn't find anything that uh, in the genre that I, <laughs> that I like, which is small. <laughs> I like I like to read short things. Okay. Um, and um, and I, in response, I wrote a, a story about, um, effectively, about the sort of life cycle of a tree. Uh, having been the small tree beneath the big tree, then there's a storm one night and the large tree gets blown down and the, the little tree grows up to be big and strong and eventually a little tree grows underneath it. And then we lost my dad and then about um, uh, a year later my, my son was born. So it, it sort of, yeah, it kind of felt like a very personal thing to be writing, even though it was really about trees. Mm. Um, and, Matt, and Matt took that up um, and said, look, you know, there's, there's some things you need to know about picture books and um, took me on this sort of whirlwind um, tour, really, of, of, of how to think picture book when you're writing. So um, you didn't actually realise that you'd written a picture book at that point? Well, what we'd done was, um, I've got a big family, I'm the youngest of six, and, and obviously this it was quite a surprise losing Dad. And one of my, one of my uh, sister-in-laws... Sister-in-laws or sisters-in-law? One of my sisters-in-law, I think. Um, she uh, is a fine artist and, and a very fine artist at that. Um, and I'd, I'd written this story and she did some pictures to go with the story. Um, but I didn't realize then that the, the, the illustration uh, in the picture book world was, was, was an art form in itself. And mm. it wasn't really a matter of simply drawing the pictures of the words, but of finding another story inside the text and, and, and helping... Um, helping the, the book become deeper and more significant, and, and Matt obviously saw immediately that uh, this was a text that he could he could do other stories within, um, and and so it went from being a story with pictures um, to a picture book, really. Interesting. Um, do you do you think journey. that that's a mistake that a lot of people make about picture books in thinking that it's a story with pictures instead of a picture book, so to speak? Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a funny it's a funny space, isn't it? There are lots of brilliant books with pictures, um, and there are lots of um, activity books or lift the flat books or whatever books where, you, you know, the pictures really do need to be directly um, because they're reinforcing the, the words. Um, but the picture book model itself seems to allow two very distinctly different, perhaps different creative souls, i.e. the writer and the, and the illustrator, to get together to create, usually with help of, the, of, of an editor, I guess, the that third thing, that other place, the, the sort of the space between the words and the pictures where another story um, can happen, uh, and I think that's it's really obvious when you read to kids because they they see the other stories because they're they're I guess they're, they're reading the pictures as much as they're reading or hearing the words. So, um, but yeah, and I think certainly when I started, I thought, for for example, trees uh, ironically now called tree, but at the time um, 
you could see that there were trees everywhere on, on the illustration. So he didn't have to say the word tree. You know, ah, uh, right. That, really. Yeah. So those, those sorts of things. And if you're freed up as a writer from having to say um, there was a terrible storm that night because you can see that there's a terrible storm, then you're free to be more poetic with the way you describe the storm. So your, your, your capacity as a writer is, is um, stretched a little bit more. But you, you, can, you can find other ways of talking about stormy <laughs> in that so, instance. Is this the like you've obviously like you? Uh, I believe you're a teacher in your yeah. in your actual day yeah. job. But is this the first thing? Like, was tree the first thing that you sort of really seriously wrote, or were, were there other things that you'd worked on prior to that? I've always written. I think it's um, it, one of the lovely things about being published is that suddenly the words that you've got published seem to, in other people's eyes, they seem to have an authenticity that everything else you've ever done didn't have. You know, so you sort of <laughs> you mm. ask things like you know, when did you start writing? Children often say, you know, when, when did you first start writing? And you're forced to reflect, and, and it's absolutely true that I've always written. Mm. Um, but when I look back now, I, I never much enjoyed certain aspects of English as a student at school in the UK. Loved drama, loved Shakespeare, loved, loved all of that side of things. In fact, I, I teach drama now. But um, the only areas of English that I really enjoyed were either wonderful teachers, and I had a few of those, or, um, or poetry, really. I used to love the, the, com the confined nature of a short line, the fact that you couldn't... Um, I have a great tendency to just sort of blather on, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and being confined to six syllables or nine syllables and having to find a way of communicating in that, in that sort of way. Um, and I was a nurse for a while, actually, and I, I recently rediscovered lots of the poetry I wrote when I was nursing, and it's very much about patients I knew at the time or things that I was doing at the time. It's very much like a, like a diary. You know, mm. you can look back and, and say, oh, crikey, yeah, 1987, I was talking to, you know, Mrs. Miggins about <laughs> so-and-so. So, yeah, I've all, I, I always have. And I, and I don't think ever seriously thinking that it will be published. Certainly the poetry was, was, wasn't, was never to be published. You know, that's the sort of thing that was just a, you know, to attract girls, I suppose. But, um, <laughs> but <laughs> the best when that's not published, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> But um, but it wasn't really until um, I met Matt and he, um, as I say, he, he saw in, in the work. And I, I had a lot of little stories like Tree that I've been tinkering around with because it was always a way of um, just being creative, I think. You know, I've written mm. lots of plays for students and, and so I'm, always, I'm very at home sitting in front of the, the keyboard. Um, um, and from that, really, um, he, um, he, we needed somebody to sort out the, uh, the contract. So um, uh, he very kindly offered me the services of his literary agent who said, look, I'll do this one for you if you like, but uh, you have to remember that if I don't like you and you don't like me, we go our separate ways after it because, you know, it's already in the, in the bag. I haven't got to do any work for you. Um, but have you got anything else? Mm. Um, so I sent her a few other things and they just started coming in. So. Wow. Do you, do you think an agent, uh, I'm skipping ahead here a little bit, but do you think sure. an agent is important for picture book writers? I, I, for me personally, the um, the intricacy of contracts, the, the the ins and outs of, you know, whether you're being paid a fee or whether you're on um, um, royalties or, or, or you know, I, I think it's a, a minefield. And, and um, my personal feeling is that um, my my agent Margaret Kennedy has been um, very very useful indeed. Um, mm. I, I have, and, and this is you know this is just me, but I've been extremely lucky with. The relationship that I've struck up with um, Mark Greta Lamond at uh, Little Hair, mm -hmm. and uh, I haven't needed um, 
an agent to shop my work around so much mm. because I've, I've, you know, they've they've sort of gone with me and said, "Have you, you know, let's have a look at a new story, let's have a look at another idea." But I, you know, I'm sure I, I equally know writers who, who really don't want to lose ten percent and or whatever it is, and um, feel that you know part of the job is to you know get off your backside and get your get your um, get your work out there. Mm. So um, I look, I think it swings and roundabouts. So. I, I've, I've only known the way I've done it, so hmm. um, yeah, it's probably hard for me to comment with any with any authenticity, really. Okay, so um, when you're sort of starting out, you know, you said that that uh, Matt kind of mentored you through the process. Yeah. What what do you think were the biggest kind of if you if you could call them mistakes that you yeah. were kind of making in your text yeah. when you started out? What would what would those things be? And are they the kinds of things that you see regularly in sort of students who? you know, for the Australian Writers' Centre? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think they're, and I don't think they're, I mean, they are, in the, ultimately in the world of the picture book, they are something that will be changed. So I guess you could see them as mistakes in the first place, but they're mm. very they're very obvious things to do. And and, and that's uh, overwriting, really, just, mm. just thinking that if you don't pack your text with everything that you're expecting the reader to see, that they won't see it. And, of course, it's not only you in this journey. You know, you're, you're going to give this text to an illustrator who isn't going to want it to say the, the green pig climbed up the hill because that's what they're going to illustrate. You're going to see that the green pig is climbing up the hill, um, possibly. But uh, the, the difficulty is, and uh, this is a really difficult one, it's a difficult one when you're being you know, in, in a great relationship with, with a publisher, it's a difficult one for everybody. You feel that if you don't say it in the text, how is the illustrator going to know? That was going to be my next question because <laughs> that's clearly, that's the next question. Were they reading your mind? I mean, how that's do you right. know? That, no, that's right. So I, so I think what follows on from that is that if the nugget, if the, if the kernel of the story, if the a picture book text has to have something universal that will, that will attract attention and be of interest to, to parents reading to children, to children on their own, to open to interpretation on a sort of a universal um, scale. So y- you would hope that once the, once the nugget of the idea has been accepted, then it becomes a conversation where things are cut, things are changed, things, things move around. But it's, it's incredibly difficult to, to write something as spare as it ends up. Mm. Because obviously, if you sent in seventy-four words, people would say, "Great, it's kind of an abstract poem. There's nothing happening." <laughs> going it's on. a caption. <laughs> so no, it's not fair. It's not fair. But but unfortunately, um, I think that's the most common thing that, that every beautiful detail of of the child's walk to sandpit is is described with you know wonderful wonderful language, and you think that's all going. <laughs> yeah, that's sad, isn't it? And what but you, you know, writers love writing, don't they? And they love yeah. their words, and of course they do, and that's fantastic. Um, but the, the difficult thing is, is, is you, you can put, you know, you can put illustration notes if you want um, into into your text. But the difficult thing I think to start with is to realise that the illustrator is a creative individual themselves, and it's mm. their job to do. You know, for a start, it takes an awful lot longer often to do the illustrations, in my opinion, and in my experience, than it than it has taken you to do that. You know, to do to the story. Mm. Um, that's probably contentious, actually. But um, their job is not simply to illustrate your words, but actually to find something for them that's universal and beautiful about the story. So very mm. often, if you read a text without showing the pictures, you won't have a full idea of the story at all. And equally, if you just saw the pictures and didn't read the text, you'd think, crikey, what's going on? 
Um, but it's when you, you know, when you put those two together. So I think that if, coming back to your question, that if it's a mistake, then it's not realizing that you are a part of, um, you are part of a, of a team of creative people who are all kind of marching in the same direction. Mm. Uh, and it's interesting. I guess that is, as you say, something that you only learn with experience because yeah, you yeah. don't kind of like when you're writing your first ones, you don't know who you might yeah. be working with, how it might work. Or, sure, sure. Yeah. I think also, though, uh, on, a, on a related note, that you, when often people come to writing a picture book because of some significant personal um, passion, something they feel, they feel strongly about and they, they feel should be out there for kids to, to realise and understand. Um, and, and often, if it doesn't have a universal appeal, i.e. it's something that is absolutely appropriate to them in their family right now and right here and now, the chances of it actually having an appeal to a publisher are... are uh, are diminished, I think, mm. because they they can't see a, a market. I mean, basically, they want to sell you books, don't they? Yeah. So they, they're not sure who's going to go and buy a book about your particular issue in your family today. Mm. Um, and that's hard because they, you know, the writers care passionately, and and this issue is a very personal and important issue for them. Um, and uh, you know, it's hard to, to to be told. Well, actually, that might be important to you, but no one yes. else is. <laughs> Frankly, no one else cares. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's not that's not easy. <laughs> no, no, no. So, how many drafts would you say that you do until you get from idea to kind of final text? Um, you know, completely, completely depends. Perfect, the book that's out this month um, was was a remarkable uh, little journey, and it does actually rhyme perfect, right? Well, kind of half rhymes, um, and um, came from a, a, a very specific moment where. Uh, it was a Saturday. My daughter was home from school. Um, Jude, my wife, was, was out and about, and um, I forget where my son was. But I said to, to Abby, my daughter, um, what do you want to do today? And she said, oh, Dad, I just need a crayon and somewhere to scribble. Hmm. And there was something absolutely beautiful about the balance of that, of just that line, a crayon and somewhere to scribble. But, um, I had to go and write a story around the simplicity, not only of the content of that, you know, that we don't need all the stuff that we, we generally sort of think we need, mm. um, but also to try and find other language that balanced that sort of that phrase. So I have no idea to this day what she did on that Saturday. <laughs> 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 no, no, that's not true. But, um, but that story was, was relatively quick because a bit like um, a rhyming, uh, you know, like a, a, a ten-syllable line, you, you, I knew in that, in that instance that, the, that, in this case, the noun came first, the verb came at the end, and that I wanted it to bounce, I wanted it to rhyme, I wanted it to have a rhythm. So once you're in there, it was relatively quick and, and almost untouched from the editorial perspective. So, so it really didn't, um, it really didn't very long at all. Uh, mm. uh, but that, by that time, I suppose it's important to remember that I had quite, quite a few contracts with this particular publisher already. So they, they were ready to accept something and say, oh yeah, we know you, we know, you know. Mm. Uh, there's been other stories that have been on my desktop for, for years. Um, uh, and I'll go back to and I'll um, tinker with and, and think, oh, what was I thinking? Or, or think, oh, this is really lovely. But I have a friend in the UK who's a stand-up comedian, and he always says of, of content, he'll say, look, I know there's one in there somewhere. Mm. You know, <laughs> there's something in there. I just don't. Yeah, I've got a lot of those. It yet. Yeah. I've got a lot of those on my desktop, a lot of, a lot of stories about something that I, I know has a resonance. I just don't quite know the best way to communicate it yet. And I might have a you know multiple goes and sometimes my filing system isn't brilliant and um, I'll, I'll read something and think crikey I can't imagine I wrote that and then realize that I've got six 
six versions beyond it, you know. Yeah, wow. Um, so lots. I, mean, I think um, uh, I've been very lucky with, uh, with Margretta at uh, A Little Hair because she, she kind of gets that it's not going... Uh, what I'm sending her isn't going to necessarily be the finished product and I'm not going to jump up and down and say, you know, you can't change my words. Yeah. Um, because I think that's another... I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult one sometimes, but that, you know, the, the editor's a creative being as well, you know, and they're, and they're not there just to sort of dot some I's and make sure you've got capital letters. They're actually... Mm engaged in the process of communicating that, that story. So, um, yeah, I, I wish there was a simple answer, but it just entirely depends. The, um, the, the, picture, the, the chapter books are um, a different kettle of fish. I mean, you're writing sort of 3,500 words, and, mm. um, and the editor's looking for a whole sort of... They're looking for the, the shape of the story across the book, and they're also looking for how it fits into the other books in the series, and does it, this, the, 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 the Lola books aren't, aren't actually sequential, so you have to embed enough information in any one of them for a reader to understand the whole world of all of them. And so they're sort of looking for, have you said this? Because we need to say it isn't said in this text yet. Have you done this? You know, so editorial becomes a little bit more of a, a content-based thing. Okay, um, so let's talk about that for a moment. How, did, like, what, how and why did you segue into that young younger readers chapter book sort of end well, of town? I had, um, I had a uh, period of long service leave um, couple of years ago, or a year ago, crikey, it's a year ago, and I was um, writing, 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 as I always do, and I'd written something that was, that was not a chapter, but my son was madly into scootering at the time, and um, I'd had this sort of picture book idea about a, a, a kid who, a sort of a famous five kind of group of skaters who, or scooter riders who, I don't know if you know much about scootering, but if you ever get down onto a skate park, there's an incredible hierarchy that sort of works between mm. BMX riders and skateboarders and and scooters, and scooters were coming along at a rate of knots and were becoming very high-tech, and kids that were younger than skateboard riders were really good at scootering, but skateboard riders didn't really kind of recognize their skills because they, you know, they, were, they were silly things, scooters, aren't they? And, and I'd written this, this story, but it was too long for a picture book, really, and I, and I, and I wrote to my um, editor in, in um, uh, Little Hair and said, look, I know you don't do longer work, but you know, do you have any idea of who I could, who I could approach? And she directed me to their parent company, to Hardy Grant, and said, look, if there's, any, um, if there's any value in the work, it's not for me to say, but the person you need to speak to is Hilary Rogers at um, Hardy Grant. She's a, a, a series um, commissioner and, and, and a very fine one, too. And she's responsible for Billy B. Brown and Zach Power and those oh, right. um, serious sort of um, players in the world. Mm. Um, and, um, and she wrote me a really beautiful email that said, this is rubbish. Um, <laughs> um, it's not... I love those ones, the beautiful rubbish. But I, um, I do know everything you've written because I'm on the acquisitions board at Little Hair. Oh. So I'd love to work with you. Let's have a chat. So it was a, you know, one of those beautifully fortuitous conversations right at the beginning of my long service. I had six months. Um, and they'd had a couple of ideas around the office about sort of... Um, I mean, remember, I suppose it's important to talk to, this, to students about... the. These things have to be marketable. You know, the, the publisher isn't, isn't a, an, an arts cultural, you know, sort of um, protector of the cultural arts, although good ones do that. They, they need to sell some books. Um, so they've been sort of really researching the market and having a think about what, what, what could we put in the market that wasn't there at the moment. Um, and they've got a couple of ideas and, and, and just said, we, we'd like to do something along the lines of, of um, uh, toys, uh, coming to life, but not Toy Story. Um, probably in in the world, real world, maybe as a result of a of a toy box. What do you think? And and I 
we, we, we chucked ideas between each other for a month or so. They sent me some books. I read loads of stuff. We talked about our passions. And I've always loved portals and uh, sort of Doctor Who type. I'm not a Doctor Who fan particularly, but I've always loved you know, Alice in Wonderland and, and those, those portal stories. Um, so I suggested that this toy box, rather than the toys coming to life, her toys coming to life, was actually a, was actually a, um, a gateway to a, a magical kingdom of toys that, uh, that are there because their children aren't playing with them, basically. Oh. Um, so each, each book goes into a different part of this kingdom, to a different land in this kingdom. So if you're in Cuddleton, obviously they're cuddly toys. Um, <laughs> if you're in Timberfields, they're wooden toys. If you go to um, the Silk Lakes, then you're finding all those beautiful silk kites and parachutes and things that are made. Um, and, um, and it sort of started from there, really. Um, and uh, I was asked to write, um, I mean, I, I didn't think of it at the time as if it was, it was kind of like testing me out, but I suppose it was. I was asked to write 4,000-word draft, you know, how do you see one of these stories panning out? What, what's, um, what does it feel like? And then as a result of that, we had a couple of Skype meetings, I know, hard to imagine because I'm rubbish on Skype, but... Um, uh, and the result, the result was, um, you know, let's start with four books. So, yeah, I, it wow. wasn't really so much anything more than having started one story that I knew was too long for a picture book and, um, and then sort of getting caught up in the machinery of just the right time, right place, I imagine. And finding yourself in a whole different world. Yeah, and it, and it is a very different world. I mean, it's a, and it, but they complement each other beautifully. It's lovely mm. to go from... And the, the Lola books are, uh, are 3,500 words or 10 chapters. You're looking at trying to sort of keep a, a rhythm and a pace in a chapter that wants to, makes the keep on a turn the next page. Um, and then back to a, to a picture book which has a different landscape entirely and a, um, trying, to, trying to get the nugget of that universal idea in, in, in 150 words, you know, um, which, is, which is... Challenging. Really, uh, yeah, Lucky you like short and challenging, isn't it? Yeah, it is, it is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. God knows if I'd ever do a novel, that would be, I think that would be terrifying. <laughs> All right, so just uh, switching gears slightly, how do you promote your books? Are you doing a lot of kind of visits or how, like at, at your end of town in that sort of younger readers area, yeah, yeah. What, what, what does promotion look like? Um, look, I, I have to say it's kind of come on a bit of a rush and, um, and, it's, and it's stepped up in the last, well, since Lola came out really. Um, and I've, um, the, the, the guys at Harder Grant have been very, very good at uh, uh, setting up opportunities for me to come and speak to, to bookshops and speak to schools and uh, talk to, to retailers. I've been out to, to Sydney and to Melbourne to do that, and they've been over to WA. I live in Perth. They've, they've been over to WA um, during Book Week last, last, you know, this year and, and, and sort of walked me around lots of libraries and places. Um, I think that sort of the jobbing um, author, those of us who don't have to have a proper job, um, are... <laughs> out and about in schools you know and doing that um doing trying to create a, a passion for writing and reading in kids and then hopefully the byproduct of that is that those kids are involved and interested in that author's work and mm. maybe go on and, and you know and buy some of it mm. but um yeah i think it, it's that combination it certainly seems to be and i, I think until you become really well known i think you, you've, you've got to roll your sleeves up and get into get into schools and, 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 and libraries and, and do that. I, I have to say, having worked in schools in the UK, I'm sure there is a, a market for the visiting author, but it does seem really buoyant in Australia. It does mm. seem like a really, um, you know, a really valued resource by schools and, and, and libraries. I guess uh, as, a, as a teacher, like with your background, you would not find it too much of a chore either, would you? 
Oh no, I love it. No, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I really enjoy it. And I, yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a drama teacher by by profession, and, and that sort of sense of communi- communicating to a big group of, of, of people is always is always lovely. I do quite a lot of picture books as as plays as well. So um, sometimes I can take three or four kids and do a you know sort of a, a short version of a, of a picture book as a as a as a, as a piece of theatre, which is always always nice and exciting. Mm, that's fun. Yeah, it is good. Yeah, it's nice, and um, and just another way of looking at the, at the at the work. Really, anything that gets kids to want to read more is has got to be a good thing. Hey. Well, what um, do you think about as far as you know? Again, your end of town with the younger readers. Like, yeah. where, do you think that a, an author website and social media is important <laughs> for authors in your I, area? Yeah, I look. I, I'm I'm increasingly beginning to realise that it is. I, I I'm somebody who's I'm, I'm like I'm 48, and um, I, I'm not very. Well, not at all, technically. Um, until I find a typewriter that can work quicker than I'm thinking, then, then, then I don't really understand any of it. Um, <laughs> so so I, do have, I do have a Facebook page, or a, inside a Facebook account, I've got a page called Danny Parker Books, mm-hmm. and I do have an Instagram account as of about three minutes ago, oh. um, which is, I forget what it's called, but it's there. <laughs> um, and I do have a website, and the website's been very brilliantly and beautifully made by an ex-student of mine. Um, who writes to me occasionally and says, Dan, can you send me some information because you've got a new book out and it's not on your website. Um, but I actually, my mum can tell you where how good my website is because in England that's sometimes the only way she can communicate with me. Oh, fair <laughs> enough. But it's not very good. So, look, I think the answer to your question is they absolutely should be and that um, proper people are making them, are making them work. Um, I'm just um, not. Uh, but, but it is an intention of mine to get on with it. I've, I've another ex-student who is doing very well in that field of social media and promotion and, and those things and we're, we're, we're hooking up in a little while to try and be a little bit more um, thoughtful about what I do. Excellent. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I've got a full-time job, I'm kind of busy and, um, yeah. and I write in the evenings and at weekends and, and when I'm done writing and teaching I don't, I don't have, I don't know how people do it, I don't know how they sit and update things and, and, and whatnot. <laughs> I, I, when yeah. there's books to write and other things to do, I well, quite understand. Yeah, I've got children, you know, I've got yeah. two brilliant, brilliant kids. I want to spend some time with them too. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I do think it's probably, it's prob- if, if I didn't have an income, I think I would probably be forced to be all over it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and, and that's a, a terrible thing to say, to, certainly to people that you know, are absolutely dreaming of being published. But ultimately, you know, you, you're just a human, aren't you? And you do what you can. With yeah, with that's exactly got. right. <laughs> All right, just to finish up, we do yeah. our fa- famous and fabulous uh, three top tips. So I'm just wondering if you could give us your top three tips for picture book writers. Okay. Oh, gosh, three. I, um, I would say get into bookshops, into children's bookshops, more than libraries probably. I love, love it's a fantastic resource, but have a look at what's actually on the shelf. That would be a first thing. Mm-hmm. And realize that it took 18 months to get there or thereabouts. Yeah. So really have a look at what subjects and what, what themes are hot, what, what, what is almost every third book about, <laughs> and don't write that story. <laughs> so in a sense, look for something that isn't there because although it might be on its way, it's, it's a gap in the market, and, mm-hmm. and it is a market, and you need to be, you need to be thinking about that. Um, three. The second would be, and it's sort of similar to something we've said earlier, but it's to be really, really brutal with your own edit. Don't, don't hold on to your words like they're your children, you know, really, just don't worry. Uh, I was told once, and I think this is brilliant, um, that um, when, when I first, well, the first picture book I had um, published was called Tree, and the conversation sort of went like this. Um, Danny, I really love your story. I just want to change one thing. 
the words. Um, now, I know that, so- I know that sounds... It wasn't That's like that. Brutal. My breath ever listening to this, she'll probably shoot me from a distance, but it felt like that. To me, it felt like that. You know, like, well, hang on a second. If I cut that and cut that and cut that and cut that, there's anything left to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But to not be so... To not be so um, caught up personally in the story, although, of course, it's a personal thing. Um, but there are, you know, I, I say to kids sometimes, that, you know, three pink flamingos burst through the, the, the window now and, and flew around the room and then flew off singing happy birthday. We'd all go home and tell that story. It would be the same story, but we'd all tell it differently. Yeah. So you've just got to be prepared to sometimes tell the story in another way if you want someone to read it. So that would be my second thing. And the third, which I'm sure probably every single person you ever talked to says, is just keep going. Mm. You know, don't, don't, don't let the amount of people who don't realize how brilliant you are tell you that you're no good because <laughs> you've just got to keep going. You've know? you just got to um, find the one, don't you, who thinks you are brilliant. Yeah, you really do. And there is someone there. You know, and I, it, it's really hard. We, I do these sessions for, um, for adults with, with the Australian Life Centres, you know, and, and the, the, that, that feeling that it's an impossible mountain to climb sort of comes at you in waves sometimes. You think, you know, it, if it was easy, <laughs> yeah. it wouldn't have any value. You know, no, that's right. The, per- the point is you've got to keep going and you've got to, you've got to be prepared to change it and change it and change it. And, and, and persistence, you know, resilience, persistence is, is very important. Brilliant. Well, I think we should leave it right there because that is sensational advice to finish on. So thank you so much for your time. Um, you are welcome. And you're incredibly, uh, you know, we're all looking forward to your the deluge of Danny Parker picture books that will be coming our way. Um, So best of luck with all those deadlines. Thank you very much. Thanks. Okay, well, that was Danny Parker. How cool. Very, very cool. And I think, um, you know, if you're interested in picture books, that the um, Writer's Centre course is, which I have actually looked through in the past, is fantastic. Mm. Mm. It's um, it's uh, it is a challenge, isn't it, to write a great picture book? Because even though it's only five hundred words, uh, spread over you know like thirty two pages or something, typically those every single one of those five hundred words needs to count. Well, it, yeah, it's that. That's one aspect of it. But the thing I think that a lot of writers struggle with, and I know that's something that I struggle with when mm. I attempt picture books, which I which I do in my spare time because I have so much of it. Um, <laughs> is leaving room for the pictures. Mm. Um, You have to think visually as well as, you know, words. And you have to think about, I mean, yeah, it's just like what what is the – you've got to leave room for the illustrator to show a whole lot of stuff of what's going on in the picture Mm. and then your words support that. Yes. They're not the focus, if you yes. know what I'm saying, and that's that's I think where it's very difficult sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Okay, well, our app pick for this week is a cute one. It's called Agent Obvious. Okay. It might only be available on the iPhone, but mm. anyway, it's on my iPhone, mm. and it's an app written by uh, somebody who has a blog called Agent Obvious, and she is an agent, and she mm. just has all these amazing tips, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tips. So you can randomize it if you want, like so you just press random, uh, and it can range from the very pithy, like a great idea needs great writing to go with it. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> Two, uh, it takes about four weeks to get the signing payment once the signed contract is sent to the publisher. So, you know, useful. Two, 
A heated auction is not a predictor of a book's success. So, you know, even if there is a bidding war for your book, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to go gangbusters, right? No, but you know what it does do, and if this comes back to our small conversation previously regarding a book PR, mm. is it gives um, it gives publishers a fantastic jumping off point for publicity. Yes, yes, mm. absolutely. So you can also search, you know, like if you're looking for a particular type bit kind of advice, you can put in a keyword and um, it's divided up into authors, agents and editors, but it's just a great little app that you can get a few gems here and there uh, about the world of publishing. Okay, and I'd just like to add to that because there used to be a blog and the blog is still available but it's no longer updated mm. and it's called callmyagent.blogspot.com.au and it was the, it's the anonymous blog of a literary agent in Sydney and it, she or he used to take letters and answer letters and mm. do all that sort of stuff but she, she or he also used to, um, he or she, whatever, used to... Um, give uh, you know advice about different things and there is so much fantastic information in that blog that if you are sort of interested in publishing um it's quite australian based this particular blog yeah. but seriously have a look at it because it's a huge you know um huge resource it was open from 2007 until 2014 basically answering questions um, from from people about you know what an agent does why you'd want one what about submissions what about queries what about booksellers what about blah 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 um so much info there so you know if if uh agent obvious sounds like something you'd be interested in and you want to go a little further then definitely have a look at callmyagent.blogspot.com.au Right, we'll put the link in the show notes. Hmm. Now, our working writer's tip is from Lisa. So thank you for emailing us, Lisa. And Lisa has said, I'm really torn on this subject and hoping you can shed some light. I have a fairly bog standard name. <laughs> so this st- st- so standard that the .com and the .com.au of my name are already taken, which leads me to contemplate whether I should just chuck my real name and come up with something oh. sparkly and new or what the best other alternative is. I'm a romance writer, so some of my writing will be, let's just say, mildly descriptive. Now, on the pro for the pseudonyms argument side, my son goes to a religious private school. My writing won't exactly mesh with their family values. I also have a day job in the government. But on the other hand, I'm proud of what I write and would love to put my name to my work. What would you guys do? Go nuts, Al. Interesting. I'd probably, uh, to be honest with you, I would probably come up with a sparkly pseudonym for slightly mildly descriptive romance myself mm. um, particularly if that's if that's going to be my brand if that's what I'm going to be doing if romance is where I'm headed then I would set up an entire um, I would set up my entire website related to that particular brand that's mm. what I would do mm. myself absolutely I think I agree with you if I've got a kid in a uh, re- very religious private school and a government day job I don't want to risk embarrassment to my kid uh, and also risk potential uh, you know situation at work where they may not appreciate me having you know writing mildly descriptive <laughs> um, books I don't know how descriptive Lisa's referring to but uh, I would have a pseudonym until my kids grew up from school. And un- until I left the day job, it's exactly one author who I was speaking to the other day. She has written, oh, 
I think about 10 romance novels mm-hmm. and as soon as she left her, her kids left school she changed her name back oh that's interesting yeah but she did it because she didn't want her kids to you know ha- yeah, have a difficult yeah. situation and yeah, she yeah. freely said that and and it's okay because you can come out of the closet in a sense um and 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 say look I've been writing under this name all these years and people know that that's you and you can be proud to put your name to that work because people will know it's you then but you know the thing is you can still be proud of what you write even if you put a pseudonym on it like it doesn't it's like I it's I've never really understood the problem people have with writing under different names because Mm. it's it's still you still your work and it's just that that happens to be the particular brand that you put on that work at at any given time and if you set up a, a really good brand as a romance writer you know within that genre and you've got a readership and stuff like that why change it why not just keep going with that and then yeah. if you want to write something else you can go and do that under another name again yeah. or your own personal name well even uh, um our director of creative writing pamela freeman who has written oh 30 books mm. under pamela freeman but a lot of them have been children's books and a lot were in you know the fantasy genre when she moved to her historical fiction she has uh changed she changed her name to Pamela Hart which actually is her married name but she's writing historical fiction under that name that's right so it's yeah pretty normal yep so yeah like go the pseudonym for the time being and then see how you feel about it yeah especially with the kids situation I suppose and particularly if you can then you know create yourself you know you can be sparklingnewname.com I mean that's it's kind of mm. nice, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Yeah. All right, we must away. We've come to the end of our episode this week. What are you doing this coming week, Al? Uh, I, well, you know, just those 80,000 things we talked about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I just can't even, honestly, my head is spinning just oh. thinking about it. It's going to be fine. I'm okay. going to be so fine. All so right. fine. What about you? What are you going to be doing? You should see my dining table because it's uh, got 810,000 words on is it. it still, is it still – are you still doing that? <laughs> I'm like, still doing how it. How long does this go on for? I don't know. <laughs> Forever and ever. You know, on the plus side, most of them are quite good. So I, it, it's a joy to read quite a number of them. But you should see my dining table. There are just piles of uh, – Maybe you'd yeah. like to take a snapshot of that and pop it up on the podcast show notes for us, Val. Too scary. Because I'm only doing it bits at a time, like A to G, and then the next chunk of the alphabet. If I put it all up there, I think I would just become so overwhelmed, I'll hyperventilate. Oh, that reminds me. Was I supposed to share a photo of my fabulous mapmaker lined cloak? Did we do that? Yes, but I don't think you did it in the show notes. I saw it on Facebook, I I think. Mm. All right, I'll send it over for the show notes because really it's a sight to behold. (laughs) Wonderful. to be seen to be believed. All right, so where do we find you online, Al? You'll find me at at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T. You'll find me on Facebook at Alison Tate Writer and you'll find me at alisontate.com, which has got all my links to all the other things anyway, so maybe start there. Wonderful. And you, Val? You'll find me at Valerie Koo on Facebook and Instagram and, oh, everything, Twitter. Uh, But if you have a question you would like us to answer, email us, podcast at writerscentre.com.au. And you'll find the show notes, of course, at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast. Uh, But until next week, we will chat to you then. Well, bye. This week's giveaway is the biography of Frank Lowy. 
called Frank Lowy A Second Life, a fascinating account written by journalist Jill Margot. This is about the Westfield shopping centre magnate, but this biography is so much more and reads like a page turner. Visit writerscentre.com.au slash win for your chance to win. Entries close Monday 19 October 2015. But if you're listening to this podcast in the future, don't worry. There will be a new book giveaway at writerscentre.com.au slash win that you can check out. In the meantime, if you're looking for the show notes to this episode, go to writerscentre.com.au slash podcast.